Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. Have you inherited an IRA or are you about to? Maybe you want to set up your IRA accounts so your beneficiaries inherit them in the easiest and most straightforward way possible. We're going to talk about how to handle inherited IRAs on this edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. And here's your host, expert tax strategist and retirement coach, Jay Barry Watts. Well, thank you, Patrice. The only thing I might disagree with is the use of the term expert, at least when it comes to this topic, because the information is so slippery. There are so many exceptions to the rules and things are changing so rapidly that it is really hard to nail down every potential option under all the different circumstances under which people might inherit an IRA. In fact, if you were looking for an expert, where would you go? It would make the most sense, I think, to go to the Internal Revenue Service. But I was on their website just this morning, not three hours ago. And the IRS has wrong, outdated information on their own rules about inherited IRAs posted to their own website. So what that means is it's the wild, wild west out there, Patrice. But there's a new sheriff in town, and I guess that's you or me or us. Oh, not me. me, baby. It is you. <laughs> so, so well, let's do this together and uh, see how far we can get down the road. And I'm going to give you a high-level overview of what happens when you inherit an IRA. And if you've got other questions that come up in the process on behalf of our uh, listeners, maybe you can bring those to the table for them. Okay. So one of the reasons this topic is so confusing is um, just because it was filled, first of all, with so many variations and options. I, I don't know how many, but we're not talking a handful. We're not even talking dozens. We're talking hundreds of variations and options and exceptions. And that was long before Congress got involved. But on December 23 of 2022, so just a couple of months ago, Congress passed a new law called Secure Act 2.0. And buried in that law were changes to IRA account rules. And I'll give you just one of them so you can kind of understand the kinds of things that changed. So um, prior to that, we were under Secure Act 2019 or version one, as we might call it. And in that one, Congress changed required minimum distributions on your IRA from 70 and a half to 72. So people still walk in my office all the time and they say, well, you know, 70 and a half and I got a whatever. I'm like 70 and a half is not a thing anymore. That doesn't exist anymore. That was replaced in 2019 by 72. But wait, 72 is not a thing anymore. In Secure Act 2.0, they raised the required minimum distribution starting age to 73. So that's just one of the kinds of things that they changed that caused all the calculations to be different and caused us to remain confused. It's pretty easy to mess this process up. So uh, what I want to help people do is I want to help them plan for their IRAs to be inherited by the people that they love and care about. And if you have inherited an IRA from someone who loved and cared about you, well, I want to help you understand all the issues related to the taxes on that and your options for how you can take the money out and things of that nature. So that's what we're going to do today. Is that fair enough? Sounds good to me. And I think first, 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 the big word, the big word of the day, beneficiary. 
The word of the day is beneficiary. In fact, you see, many people come into my office and they think, well, yeah, I got my IRL set up. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be going, going to my spouse. Or, uh, yeah, we covered that in my will, or uh, we, we put that in my trust. It's absolutely not true. You didn't put it in your will. Well, you may have put it in there, but it's irrelevant. You may have put it in your trust, but that's irrelevant. Uh, you may want it to go to your spouse, but that's irrelevant because what drives the decision is something called the beneficiary designation form. You will have one of these on your IRA. You'll have one of these on your 401k. If you have a 403b or 457 plan, any type of qualified retirement type plan will have a beneficiary designation and it'll have a form to make that beneficiary designation. So uh, it's very important you have that form completed correctly. You see, if you got a divorce 10 years ago, but you didn't change the beneficiary designation, then your ex-spouse is going to get the money. And if you named your spouse, but they died a few years ago and you haven't updated your beneficiary designation form and then you die, well, then your spouse's estate, your, your dead spouse's predeceased you, their estate is going to maybe have to be reopened to get your money to the people that you wanted it to go to, even if it's just your kids, because your form had never been updated. Now, in our practice, we review these designations annually to be sure that they are correct for our clients. And so I want to encourage you that you should be working with a fiduciary advisor. And one of their responsibilities ought to be to bring this to the table and say, hey, what about these beneficiary designation forms? Are they still right? Is this still where the money is supposed to go? You should be sure that your advisor is doing that for you. And if they're not doing that for you and they look at you kind of cross-eyed, well, maybe it's time for you to shop for a new advisor. And Barry, here, wait. Quickly, is it difficult to change those forms? No, it's one sheet of paper. I mean, yeah. literally, it's just um, um, take out Bobby's name and insert Sally's name and let me sign down at the bottom. You, you usually have to have the name, the address, and social security number and birth date. And the reason, by the way, we didn't used to have all that. All you used to have to have was the name. But somewhere, somebody in the great world of organizing all this decided, you know, if it says that the beneficiary is Bob Smith, well, there's a lot of Bob Smiths in the world. And so how do we know it's the right Bob Smith? That's a pretty good question. So what they started doing is on the forms, they started asking you for the social security number. So now when Bob Smith shows up to inherit your money, hey, Bob, show me your social security card. Oh, you're the Bob Smith that's on the form so we can give you the money. So all you need is the name, address, uh, social security number, birth date of whoever your beneficiary is. We put that on one sheet of paper. You sign the bottom of it and you tell us whether they get 100% or 50% or 33% if you got three kids, however you do the math. And that way, when you die, literally the kids can show up in the office before your funeral. If they had the death certificate in hand, they could show up, they could show up before your funeral. And, and the money could be in process of being transferred into their name. You've heard those jokes, Patrice, about the guy who's sitting beside some other guy at the Super Bowl, which, by the way, was last weekend. Go Chiefs. Um, and um, he was sitting beside some other guy at the Super Bowl and talking about how this extra seat beside him is available. And the reason it's available is because it was his wife's seat. And, uh, oh, it's so sad that his wife can't sit there because she died. Oh, well, where are the kids? Because they're supposed to be sitting in the other, these other seats. Well, they've gone to the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> so, fly, you know, it was, fly, by the way. It, oh, yeah, that is kind of close to your neighborhood. I didn't, I forgot that we kind of had a thing that we could do there, uh -huh. but. Um, you lost. So there you go. <laughs> three points. Three points. Any, three big, huge points. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT. <laughs> so...
All right, where were we? We were updating these. <laughs> we're updating the, the forms. Right, so, here, so here's what you got to do with these forms. Patrick, if you're listening, you need to update their forms, okay? Kelsey, if you're listening, update the forms. Which and Kelsey? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Travis. Okay, we're, we're going to run out of time here because I got to tell you a story. So <laughs> there's a lawyer in our town who is really prominent because he has owned the media for 25 years. He was on the front page of the phone book back. You do know what a phone book is. You remember those things. <clears throat> uh, yeah. He he was on the front page of the phone book forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then he went on TV and he's been all over TV all the time forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then he went and hired um, Kelsey, not Jason, but our Kelsey here at the Chiefs, he he hired him to star in his commercials. And so it's the two of them bantering back and forth. It's kind of like you and me, Patrice. Maybe we'll do our own commercial. And they're bantering back and forth and all that kind of stuff. And so, so this lawyer's got Kelsey on his commercials. Well, a pastor friend of mine posted during the game the other night because there's a second lawyer in town who's got a lot of commercials going on, too. And he thought the second lawyer ought to go hire Jason so that we could have the Ooh. two brothers, Kelsey, advertising for the two different lawyers in a market. And I got to tell you, I think that is brilliant. And then they and could I, get their mom and she could have a uh, jackets for both of the lawyers. Fabulous. <laughs> I, I, I need to call them and talk to them about it because I think that's a, just an awesome freaking idea. Now, maybe the marketing people will say, hey, Barry, you, you're a little out of your lane here. That's really not got as much traction as you think it does. But I thought it was a neat idea. You know what I would tell uh, Kelsey's mom? I would tell mom to be sure that you have a beneficiary designation form on file with your IRA, but then I want you to have a copy of the form. And I want you to put the copy of the form in your important paper files for your estate planning purposes so that when you die, the kids are going through your files and they can find the form. And here's why I want you to do that. Because your custodian, where you file the form, who should know what you want done with the money, sometimes they lose documents. They might not have the form when the time comes. And as a result, your money might not go where you want it to go. You say, well, Barry, that seems kind of far-fetched. How could that happen? Really, really simple how it could happen. What if your custodian was sold to someone else and overtaken by a new custodian? I can tell you from personal experience that when they transfer all those files and documents in these big computer systems, it would be very easy for a form like your beneficiary designation form to just get lost. And so as insurance and protection against that, you should always keep a copy of it in your personal estate planning files. So there's the first big tip for you today. All right, let's keep going with beneficiary. All right. So who are we going to name for our beneficiary? So for many people, this is simple. It's going to be the spouse and then the kids. Now, it can get a lot more complicated than that. But for purposes of the way we're going to give this little talk is we're just going to talk about it as if it were just the spouse and the kids to make it smooth, sweet, and easy. So first of all, I want to tell you what not to do. You should avoid naming your trust as a beneficiary of your IRA. This is because unless the trust has been properly structured to include specific language regarding the IRA, when the trust receives the money, it could all be taxable at once rather than allowing the taxes to be spread over a decade, and that would be disadvantageous to your beneficiaries. So I don't want you to name a trust as the beneficiary to your IRA. Instead, what we encourage people to do is name the trust as the contingent beneficiary. 
So name the spouse first, assuming that's where you want the money to go. Name the children, maybe as the contingent beneficiaries, assuming that's where you want the money to go if the spouse is no longer living. And then name your trust as the tertiary beneficiary, the third beneficiary. And by the way, hardly any custodian has uh, three beneficiaries. A lot of them don't even have the contingent beneficiaries on the form. So sometimes we have to make up our own form and say, see Schedule A and Schedule A says primary, contingent, tertiary. But that way, if you do it that way, the tax benefits associated with inheriting an IRA type of an account can be preserved for your spouse and for your children. And it won't inadvertently be lost because there was poor language in your trust that didn't specify what you were going to do with the IRA account. Now, here's something you also don't want to do. We're not going to name your trust, but we don't want to name your estate. I cannot believe how often this happens. In fact, just this year, I had a client come in. I I grew up with these people, and it was their children who were my age who then brought mom to see me because dad is already gone. And guess who was named the beneficiary on dad's IRA account? It said estate of and dad's name. I would like to find the idiot who did that and beat him with a wet rope. It was wrong. You don't do that to people because now these IRAs are all tied up in the courts, having to go through the probate process and prove that mama should have gotten this money when you know daddy wanted mama to have the money in the first place. And indeed, the courts are going to ultimately give the mama mama the money, but it's going to have to go through the court process and the lawyers are going to get paid out of that same money. So never name the estate as the beneficiary because that's going to require the involvement of probate. Just think about it this way. Do you really need a lawyer to walk in front of a judge with your IRA in hand to file paperwork so that all the community can read your paperwork and see how much money was in your IRA to merely say, hey, I want the money to go to my kids? No, you don't need that. So if you'll just fill out the simple one-page beneficiary designation form and sign it and file it and keep a copy of it, then your IRA account will totally avoid probate. So one more thing about uh, beneficiaries before we actually start talking about which beneficiaries we named. There are some special rules for minor children, for chronically ill people and disabled beneficiaries. And those rules uh, apply to people who fall into those categories. And we're not going to talk about them because they get really nuanced and confusing. But you just need to know that if you're leaving your IRA to minor children or chronically ill or disabled beneficiaries, then there needs to be some extra special care given to the language structure and how you leave the asset so that the special distribution privileges that are available to them that aren't available to average people will indeed accrue to them and they get to bank those beneficiaries. Now, having said all that, all right, we're going to name a beneficiary. And let's just assume that you're going to name the spouse as the beneficiary of your IRA account. So upon your death, they're going to receive your account and they've got two options, not three, not one. They have two options that they can choose from. Either they can move the money from your IRA account. Now, remember, you're dead. They can move the money from your IRA account to their IRA account. And that's really all they have to do. They have met all of the requirements at that point in time. However, there are some circumstances where a spouse would not want to move the money into their IRA account. Instead, they would want to leave it in what we call a beneficiary IRA account. So essentially, they would leave that money separated as if it were in the original account, and they just put a new title on the account. We do this for people every day. Uh, 
And here's why they would want to do that. If the spouse who has inherited the IRA has not yet reached age 59 and a half, then because they're not 59 and a half, they're not allowed to take money out of their IRA without paying a penalty on it. But if they've inherited an IRA, they can take money out of the inherited IRA. They'll have to pay the taxes, but they won't have to pay any penalties. So when a spouse inherits an IRA and the spouse hasn't turned 59 and a half, we want to leave that IRA in a separate beneficiary IRA account so that the spouse has access to penalty-free money even prior to turning 59 and a half. And then once they become 59 and a half, well, then they can transfer the inherited IRA over into their own IRA account only in their name, and they can make withdrawals and there's no penalties of any sort. So that's an important nuance related to the age when you inherit the IRA account. Now, the spouse is not going to be required to make any distributions from the IRA account, the inherited IRA, the beneficiary IRA, their own IRA account, until they turn age 73. They can distribute earlier if they want to, but they won't be required to do so until they're 73 years old. We're going to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll talk about naming your children as beneficiaries. You're listening to the truth about taxes and retirement. This episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement is brought to you by the Wealthcare Corporation, a national personal wealth management firm with taxes at its center because they realize that no matter how well you do with savings and investments, it won't matter if you don't get the taxes right. Let's face it, retiring is complicated and you want to be sure you do it right the first time. That's why you need experts like Wealthcare. They'll design a personalized retirement income strategy unique to you focused on after-tax income so that you can feel more confident that you'll have the income you need every year throughout your retirement. Helping people retire with confidence, age with dignity, and create a legacy for their family. That's what they're all about at Wealthcare. Visit them on the web today at savingyoutaxes.com. Barry Watts here on The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. And today we're going to talk about the best way to inherit IRAs and 401k retirement accounts. We talked before the break about naming your spouse as beneficiary. So now we're going to pivot and we're going to talk about your children. So for purposes of this conversation, I'm going to assume that you're going to name your children as the contingent beneficiaries behind your spouse. And these rules would apply in the same way to anyone that you leave your IRA to, even if it was not your child. But for simplicity of the conversation, let's just assume it's your children that you're leaving this to. So in IRS speak, this is called a non-spousal beneficiary. Now, if there are multiple non-spousal beneficiaries because you've got more than one child, well, here's the first thing that should happen when the kids inherit the IRA account. And you should be sure that they have instruction to do it this way. Or if you inherited an IRA along with your siblings, this is something you want to initiate as soon as possible. You should split the IRA into separate accounts for each child. So if there's a million dollars and there's three children, well, let's make it four children. So the math is clean and easy. If there's a million dollars and four children, each kid gets $250,000 a piece. And there should be established four identical separate IRA accounts, one for each of those children. And the only thing that'll be different about them is on the first account, it'll have registration for the first child. The second account will name the second child, third, third child, fourth, and fourth child. And what you accomplish with that is uh, you 
take away the opportunity for the children to fuss among themselves and create disagreement about how much money is actually theirs because each kid got the $250,000. And if the first kid burns through theirs too fast and the other kid saves theirs, and that's the way it'll happen with four kids, there'll be somebody in both spectrums. Well, then you have protected and and prevented the opportunity for there to be a fuss. Now, how do you accomplish that? Well, it's simply this. The custodian who has your IRA account before you die should look at the beneficiary designation form and see that you have four separate children, each of them equal beneficiaries on the IRA. And so then the custodian, under the direction of the advisor, there should be an advisor coaching you on this, would then say, oh, it's best to operate. Uh, with four separate beneficiary accounts, one for each child, and they should guide you to do that. Now, understand this, your custodian, if it's one of the big custodian names, they don't care whether there's 10 separate accounts or whether there's one separate account. So they're not going to make that happen. I'm just telling you, if you're getting good advice from your advisor, the person who's coaching you through this, they would say to you, hey, let's separate this up into separate accounts. And then the naming conventions on these accounts becomes very important. Generally, a beneficiary IRA account will be named something like this. John Doe, deceased, IRA, for the benefit of Susie Doe, beneficiary. So once that account is established, then Susie's portion of the IRA account can be transferred into that new beneficiary account that says Susie Doe, beneficiary on it. Now, the first thing... Not the second thing, not the third thing, not the thing you forgot to do that you meant to do, but you didn't do. The first thing that you need to do when the new IRA account is established is Susie, the beneficiary, needs to name a beneficiary. Think about it. So if John dies and he leaves the money to his daughter, Susie, well, then Susie could die the very next day. And where does the money go then? The beneficiary needs to know what to do. So the first thing Susie should do is name her son, Tommy. If Tommy's her only child, name her son, Tommy, to be the beneficiary of the IRA. And that way, if Susie should die, then Tommy becomes the beneficiary of John Doe's original IRA. So always be sure that you have a beneficiary named on the account. Even if it's a beneficiary IRA account, there should be another beneficiary named to make sure that that money gets moved into the right accounts uh, and stay in the family in the way that you wanted it to. So always name beneficiaries. Now, when you inherit an IRA, there are going to be required distributions. Whoever you name as the beneficiary is going to be required to take distributions from the IRA account when they inherit it. So if it's your spouse, they won't be required to make any distributions until they're 73 years old. They can make distributions sooner than that if they want to, but they're not required to do so. Remember, though, that we said there are some special rules for minor children, disabled, or chronically ill beneficiaries. But if your non-spousal beneficiaries don't fit into any of those three categories, then they are going to be required to distribute money out of the IRA in no less than 10 years. So the rule is, They could take, your kids could take 100% of the money out of the account immediately upon inheriting it. Now, that wouldn't be a very smart thing to do in most cases, because if they do that, 
100% of that money that they withdraw, however much that is, is going to be considered as taxable income to them in the same year and added on to whatever money they are making otherwise. And so this could result in them jumping into a much higher tax bracket where over 40% of what they inherit could go away in taxes. So people need to be more judicious and strategic in planning when they take these distributions from beneficiary IRA accounts. So the rules say that the IRA, whether it's a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, must be fully distributed no later than December 31st of the 10th year following the date of death. So not accounting for any growth in the IRA, let's just pretend to make the math easy. You got 0% interest on it. If you have a million-dollar IRA, that million-dollar IRA could distribute $100,000 per year every year for 10 years, and then the required distributions would be completed. That's one way you can do it. On the other end of the spectrum, you're not required to make distributions each year. You're just required to have the distribution completed at the end of 10 years. So if you're anticipating that in 10 years, your income might be less, so your tax bracket might be lower, then you may want to wait and make all of your distribution in the 10th year. And that would also be equally acceptable to the IRS. But Patrice, no matter how you make the distribution, there's something ominous that happens. Do you know what that is? Um, thinking taxes. Yeah, you're gonna have to pay that tax bill. So you might not, uh, you might or might not expect. A lot of people come into my office and they think that because they've inherited an IRA account, it's going to come to them tax free. I don't know where they got that. Silly idea. people. It's just not true. You know, the government doesn't give up that easy. <laughs> no, they do not. So, uh, a, a traditional IRA account must have the taxes paid on it. And it's going to either be paid by the owner of the account, or if the owner dies, it's going to be paid by the beneficiaries of the account. And so this is a way that inadvertently a parent can die and really put their child in a tax bind because the parent didn't do proper tax planning early. Imagine, for example, if the parent had paid those taxes, cleansed their IRA of taxes, converted that money to a Roth IRA, well, then their kid still has 10 years to take the money out, but there's no tax due when they take the money out. So that would be far more beneficial to the kids. So any non-spouse beneficiary must pay those taxes within that 10-year period of time as they make those distributions. Now, here's the kicker. Any distribution from an IRA account is going to be considered ordinary income. So let's say, by the way, that's ordinary income as opposed to a capital gain. Capital gains rates are 0%, 15%, 20%, but you know, ordinary income rates can go as high as 37% plus your state. In California, that's 13%. Over 50% of the money is going away in that particular case. So if you're making $100,000 a year, and you take a $300,000 IRA distribution because mom or dad died and left you the money for that year, you're going to have total taxable ordinary income of $400,000 because you're making 100,000 and then you got a distribution for 300,000. So it's just like if you made $400,000 on your W2. Now here's the kicker. That means if you're married, you're going to jump from the 12% tax bracket to the 32% tax bracket. You jump from 12% to 32% in taxes just because mom and dad left you this gift. And not only that, but these distributions could affect whether or not your children qualify for grants and loans as they go to college. 
the IRA distributions that you inherited could affect whether your social security is taxable. And they could also affect how much you pay for Medicare. So here's another way that these can actually even bite you in the butt. If you fail to make these distributions because you don't want to deal with the tax on your social security and the additional amount you're going to pay to Medicare, well, guess what? You're going to be subject to a penalty in that penalty used to be 50%. Now, Secure Act 2.0 reduced it to 25%. And it can be reduced further to 10% under some circumstances, but there's no need to pay any penalty. Just make the distribution on time in the proper amount and avoid the penalty. So you can see that this is kind of a complicated topic and I've just barely scratched the surface of it. And you may want to get some help in setting up your retirement accounts for the most efficient distribution to your loved ones. Or if you've inherited an IRA, you may want help in setting up your beneficiary account in the most efficient way possible. And that's what they do at the Wealth Care Corporation. They help people navigate these complex situations dozens of times each day. And they're glad to talk to you and see how they might be of help to you. All you've got to do is go to www.savingyoutaxes.com. And there's a link where you can actually schedule an appointment on the calendar, or you can uh, actually pick up the phone and dial the phone number, or you can send an email. They've made it as easily as possible for you to get a hold of them because they want to help you get the help that you need. And that's why we do this podcast. We want you to know the truth about taxes and retirement so that you can make the best decisions possible, allowing you to retire with confidence age with dignity, and create a lasting legacy for your family. Please don't forget to visit our sponsors at the Wealthcare Corporation for more information on tax strategies to help you send less to Washington, D.C. and your state capital and keep more money in your pocket for you and your family. You can find Wealthcare on the web at www.savingyoutaxes.com. Now, do me this favor if you would. If you think this podcast would be helpful to your friends, would you click on the share button and send the link to the people you care about most or even post it in your social media so your friends and family can get the same benefits that you do from listening? I'd be very grateful if you'd do that. So please accept my thanks. Until next time, I'm Barry Watts, your host on The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, reminding you that no matter how fabulous you are with money, if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. This has been a production of the Wealthcare Corporation found on the web at savingyoutaxes.com. The concepts discussed are for informational and educational purposes only and should not be implemented without first consulting with your own legal tax and investment counsel. This has not been an offer to buy, sell, or invest in securities, and this information is to be taken as educational concepts and not as specific advice for you. The lawyers and regulators like for us to remind you that all investment involves risk, and you could lose money. Past performance is never a guarantee of future results. Tax strategy services are provided by American Tax Strategies, LLC. Investment advisory services are provided by Wealthcare Asset Management, LLC. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. 
Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.